0: Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us in our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in a section of Matthew called the Little Apocalypse. The other name for this section of Matthew's teaching is the Olivet Discourse, and The Olivet Discourse means that Jesus was doing this teaching on the end times on the Mount of Olives, hence it's called the Olivet Discourse. The book of Revelation is known as the Apocalypse, but since this is a concentrated portion of gospel teaching on the end times, it's called the Little Apocalypse. Now, with the horrendous Hamas terrorist attack that recently took place on Israel. We find that this little land in the Middle East is again on the front page of the world's headline news. And as a result, I don't know if you're aware of this, but many so-called prophecy experts have come out in force, making rather alarming predictions. I tried to keep tabs on what others are teaching about the end times, and I came across a YouTube broadcast of an evangelical pastor teaching a rather large congregation, and he had a special message on what was happening with Hamas and Israel, and he was reading straight out of Ezekiel chapter 38, which talks about an end times invasion of Israel by the land of somebody from the lands of the North. And he claimed very authoritatively that this enemy from the North was Russia and that the allies with Russia coming in One of those, it's mentioned in Ezekiel 38, was Persia. Persia being in the modern world, Iran. He's saying Russia and Iran are going to team up and attack Israel, that type of thing. And what I found really surprising, and I've watched multiple uh, sermons and special YouTube uh, prophecy sections on what's going on in the Middle East— and every one of them is quoting Ezekiel 38 and not one of them quotes Revelation 20. And what's surprising about that is that Ezekiel 38 talks about the bad guys, identifies them as Gog and Magog at the end times. Well, you turn to Revelation 20 and there's Gog and Magog in the end times and they never try to put these two together. But this pastor that I was listening to really shocked me after he got done authoritatively identifying that Russia and Iran are going to come down and invade Israel. He says, but we turned the page to Ezekiel 39, and guess what happens? The rapture. And the whole congregation broke out in enthusiastic applause. So, I just went to the bank and I pulled out $500 and I'm offering $500 free to anybody anywhere in the world in the next 30 days that can show me the rapture between or around Ezekiel 38 and 39. And don't tell me because they burn the weapons of Russia for seven years, that's the rapture because... They claim to be taking the Bible seriously, that Russia is coming in, and yet they're riding on horses with bows and arrows, and they have to burn the bows and arrows for seven years. Don't tell me that's the rapture. This is bizarre, but this is what's being taught, and this is what's being swallowed with millions of very sincere Christians right in this country. For instance, one of the most extreme raptured any moment proponents in the United States is Pastor John Hagee, and he leads some Republican candidates for president of the United States over to Israel and talk about this invasion and why we need to be at war with Russia and Iran. And I've said before, I'll say it again, Such misunderstanding of biblical prophecy could lead us into a very serious war, including a nuclear power. Do we really want to do that? And then, of course, usually he's first up to bat with any Middle East conflict was Pastor Greg Laurie. I, I know Greg. I've met him back in my days at Calvary Chapel, and this is what he said this past week. You're seeing biblical prophecy fulfilled in your lifetime in real time before your eyes. And again, he's using Ezekiel 38. He's been on CBN, Twitter, Christian Post, Daily Mail, all over YouTube, and they're using Ezekiel 38. Now, you need to be careful because Greg's teacher was our mutual pastor, Chuck Smith, who predicted that the rapture would happen any time before 1981. And that obviously didn't happen. And then he said, well, if it wasn't 1981, it would be before the year 2000, the rapture would occur. That didn't happen. And Chuck Smith later apologized saying, my error was trying to connect the world events to end time biblical prophecy. Now, sometimes that can be done with accuracy, but many times it just leads to crying wolf over and over and over again. So the idea of the second coming of Christ and Christ taking his church to meet with him just becomes a fantasy. So we need to be careful about every time there's a Middle East crisis that the rapture teachers get everybody all worked up. So I would like to look at our passage, interesting, that we've come to in Matthew regarding the end times. And chapter 24 is known as the Little Apocalypse, but I think it's actually clear that the Little Apocalypse actually begins just a few more verses earlier at the end of chapter 23. Remember, Matthew didn't put any chapter divisions in his original manuscripts, In Matthew 23, it has Jesus giving a heartfelt lament when he says, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who were sent to you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken and desolate. For I tell you, You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What was Jesus referring to when he says, Your house is left unto you desolate? God was leaving the temple. His blessings over that land was being withdrawn. And we read in the next verse, starting in Matthew 24 and verse 1, Jesus then left the temple was going away, and his disciples came to him pointing out the buildings of the temple, but he answered, you see these? Do you not? I say to you, there will not be here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down.'" And Jesus was referring to what would happen 40 years later in 70 AD when the Romans would come and absolutely destroy the temple. Now, there's something important here in this last verse in Matthew 23, right before we get into the little apocalypse. And it's very interesting that very few Protestant or Catholic commentators pick up on this. And it's this little phrase, he says, "'I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, "'Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.'" unquote. And that quote is from Psalm 118, but what does it mean? And, you know, I was having a hard time finding any solid comments on that, and I knew that the Catechism of the Catholic Church in that short section that talks about the end times, uh, it has something to say about a future hope for the Jews. And I thought, I wonder, just wonder, if Matthew 2339 is used as a scriptural reference for anything the catechism of the Catholic Church says about the Jews in the end times. And I turned to section 674 of the catechism, and there it was. Bingo. It is the footnote in this section of 674, and this is the text of 674. The glorious Messiah's coming is suspended at every moment until he is recognized by all Israel. It's like Jesus saying to the Jews, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the Catechism goes on, quoting St. Paul, a hardening has come upon part of Israel in their unbelief towards Jesus. And the full inclusion of the Jews in the Messiah's salvation, in the wake of the full number of Gentiles, will enable the people of God to achieve the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, in which God may be all in all. And the scripture reference for that last paragraph is Luke 21, and that's where I got the name of our companion broadcast on biblical prophecy. So what's happening here? Jesus is declaring that the Jews before the second coming or very close to the second coming will recognize him in a significant part as the Messiah. Their eyes will be opened. Now, you need to know, and I'm gonna be really upfront about this, that many of your favorite Catholic experts deny what I just shared with you and contradict in their teaching what is clearly taught in section 674 of the Catechism, that there's a future of the Jews in significant part believing in Christ the Messiah. Now, we're gonna be doing in my Luke 21 broadcast a special section on how the book of Ezekiel and the book of Revelation fit together. But until we get there, I need to emphasize that Ezekiel is just being abused and misused so desperately because the same type of people who say without a doubt that it's Russia coming from the north, well, if you go to Revelation 20, it's not from the north. From the north, was where all the Old Testament enemies of God came and invaded Israel. But in the end times, according to St. John in Revelation 20, it's the whole world, the whole nations of the world come and attack the people of God. But beyond that, when you move past Ezekiel 38 and 39, there's a vision of the new temple. And in the book of Revelation, right after you find the battle of Armageddon, you find descriptions of a new temple. But the rapture at any moment proponents, you need to understand this, many of them teach that Israel will revert to building a new temple like the ones the Romans destroyed in 70 AD. Not only that, that they'll begin with the Old Testament animal sacrifices and restore the Old Testament priest, and basically it's reverting to Old Testament times, but the future hope of the Jewish people, and to their credit, the rapture at any moment people do have great hope for the Jewish people, but it's not reverting to Old Testament times. It's not reverting to a description of the future uh, according to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel was writing as a priest without a temple, without sacrifices in a foreign land, Uh, as an exile, and he was trying to convey an idealized version of the restoration of the Jewish people. But when you get to the New Testament, it doesn't go back to restore the Jewish people. It goes forward so that they can believe in Christ. Here's a prophecy of that from the prophet Zechariah chapter 12, starting in verse 10. And God, through the prophet, says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of compassion and supplication, so that when they look on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Israel will be great. On that day, a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. In other words, just what section 674 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, just what St. Paul says in Romans 11, Zacharias says that the house of David, the Jewish people, will be incorporated in the new covenant, not go back to the Old Testament. That's not their their future. So, What happens is in 70 AD, we know that the Romans destroyed the temple. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but that the rapture folks believe, or some of them, that Ezekiel's temple, which is talked about in Ezekiel 40 and the subsequent chapters, will be a third temple built sometime in the future. Uh, There are Jews in Israel. Uh, gathering the necessary materials for Old Testament priest garments, uh, chipping stones to build a third temple like the Old Testament temple. And there's evangelicals in the United States sending money to Israel for this Ezekiel building project, but it's misusing Ezekiel. All right, here is a verse that when you hear folks wanting to build Ezekiel's temple. Again, they're reading Ezekiel through the Old Testament lens, and Ezekiel was very foresighted, but there's more information that comes when the Son of God himself comes to earth, reveals himself, teaches, and then he has his apostles after that first coming to further explain what are the implications of that. So again, they're reading Ezekiel 38. Um, Russia and Iran. We need to get in the war and defeat them, defend Israel. And this and that. You turn the page, and we have the rapture, and and you have a great conflict in the Middle East, and then they start building a third temple. Okay, that is not in the plans. Even though a lot of people are convinced this is exactly what's going to happen, it is not in the plans. It is a rather disturbing misreading of the teaching of Christ. And here's the verse. It's very simple, really, that when somebody says, yes, there's going to be a third temple and there's a great danger in a third temple. This isn't the broadcast to do it, but I'll just mention that it may be the place that the Antichrist takes up residence in. What we want to do is share Christ. At the appropriate time. We don't arm twist anybody. That's not a very effective way of evangelism. I learned a hard way. But when when God is opening a heart and there's a hunger for truth, we share it. And here are three little verses from John that absolutely destroys the, let's build the third temple, let's start Old Testament sacrifices mentality. And by the way, the entire epistle to Hebrews corrects that notion. I don't quite understand how they get away with this, but in any case, the Gospel of John, Jesus was challenged, and he answered, destroy this temple, and he's talking about the temple that uh, was right in front of him there in the first century. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? Verse 21 of John 2, but he spoke of the temple of his body. You see, Ezekiel was looking forward. He pressed the envelope further than most anyone else in the Old Testament about this. He knew it was gonna be great. So he described a temple beyond compare, the perfect, perfect, perfect temple. And so when Jesus came, destroy this temple, the second temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Well, what happened in three days? He rose from the dead, and he spoke of the temple of his body. When Christ rose from the dead, yes, he physically rose from the dead, but he became the equivalent of what scripture scholars call the new Adam. In a certain sense, we are all plugged into the first Adam, and that's why we share in original sin, but as Christ rose from the dead, he was the second Adam, the new man, of which all those who through faith and baptism are plugged into him are being built together as a temple. Now, I just did a quick search and there might be a little overlap here, but I did a a quick search for the two words that appear together in any verse in the New Testament. I used the two words, in Christ. And this particularly shows up in St. Paul, 89 times. In Jesus, eight times. In Christ Jesus, 50 times. Add it all together 147 times. I mean, how many times does the New Testament have to say this to get it through our noggin? Our identity is in one of two persons, the old Adam or the new Adam. And walking around the earth right now are two different types of people. And that's why Christians literally are supposed to be different, not weird, but different. And to be in Christ is to share that new life. And this is like absolutely fundamental New Testament teaching, and that the temple is Christ, and that's why we call the church the body of Christ. His people are in Christ, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And then St. Paul, who excels in this, and the his epistle to the Ephesians, he says this in chapter 2, you, including my fellow rapture at any moment, folks, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Then verse 20, built, what are we building? Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is joined together, listen carefully, and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It's amazing to me that folks can take something so precious as that Old Testament book of Ezekiel, and they generally just take from 38 to the end of Ezekiel and just take an exit from Christianity. They totally and completely miss not just what the third temple is, they totally miss who they are. And, you know, to their credit, most of those folks that were clapping like the rapture happens in Ezekiel 38, between 38 and 39, is just, um, they have Probably a majority of those have a sense of being in Christ, but they haven't really put the essence of what their reality is as a Christian, coupled it with their views on biblical prophecy. And St. Paul then says, as it grows into a holy temple, the Lord in whom you also are built into it for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You have to have eyes to see. And what has happened is that millions of good, sincere, pious, evangelical friends are taking the prophetic scriptures, misusing them, and saying, the hope for the Jews is to go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Let's send some money over and make some garments for the Old Testament priesthood, or let's send money over for a future building project. And by the way, it will be on the Holy Mount, which is one of the holiest locations in the world for the Muslim community. So that's probably fuel enough uh, to begin World War III. But no, we're not looking back. We're looking forward. And the key to Christianity and the key to understanding biblical prophecy isn't just like, I wonder what's gonna happen in the future, or I wonder what's gonna happen when Jesus comes back or when is Jesus coming back? But the big deal, the really, really big deal today that should be headline news, at least on every Christian publication, and Christians and Catholics as well are walking around numb to the idea that the future has come now. We don't have to go visit some future temple that'll be constructed in Israel with sticks and stones. The temple is here and we're a part, a mystical part, but in ultra reality of being a part of Jesus Christ. So again, there is a very close similarity and this is where a lot of people get off track because Ezekiel has a lot of similarity to Revelation. But unfortunately, when (laughs) When it comes to the last chapters of Ezekiel, like Gog and Magog, they skip Revelation 20. And then when they come to all of the chapters about the new temple, they think this uh, physical building project over in Israel. Well, do you know that right after Gog and Magog in Revelation 20, the next chapter talks about a temple, or you might say the lack of a temple. This is from uh, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 22, St. John, I saw no temple in the city, the new Jerusalem, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. This is the reality that is actually begun now, according to St. Paul in Ephesians 2, that we're being built in and that we're reverting. It's like going down the interstate at 70 miles an hour and decide to put your car in reverse. Your car isn't designed to go that way, and the Old Testament is looking forward to greater things in the New Testament. And right now, we're living between the times, but if you're a Christian, you're baptized, you have faith in Christ, you are plugged in to the new temple now. Not just then. God give us grace to understand biblical prophecy. And, you know, there's one or two things we can learn from a Catholic perspective. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 461 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.